Pray, Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that we can come to it this evening and uh, allow it to speak to our hearts. And Father, just give ICA direction as we uh, continue to put ourselves in your hands as tools for the purpose of the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, I'm not going to do the whole series in January, because actually, as I've kind of been working my way through this, it's kind of somewhere about ten messages already. So, we're only going to do one basic concept during the month of um, January. And we're going to talk about ministry to the Lord. It's almost primary of the ministries. It's the one we need to start with so we know how to energize ourselves to get the other ministries accomplished. Now the primary one, ministry to the Lord, involves, we said in that first overall message that we gave, we said that ministry to the Lord involved worship, praise, and intimate communion. He said that is how we are to minister to God. We minister to God with our worship. We minister to God with our praise. We minister to God with our intimate communion with Him. Uh, these, um, th- there's fine lines between these, especially worship and praise. Uh, but uh, you might be surprised where we're going to be going with this. Um, We'll start off with the obvious question, why? Why do we worship the Lord? What's the purpose? Let me just say this. I grew up around church up to a certain time of my life. It was a point where church became non-existent and I totally walked away from anything to do with God or religion. But up to a certain point in my life, I did have a lot to do with religion. No thanks to my mother, but thanks to a grandmother. And she instilled in me a fear of God that at the time, well, just seemed like a lot of religion. I also was an altar boy. Uh, Now, if you are of the Roman intent, you might understand what that is. And uh, I don't know if they have them in other mainline churches, but I was an altar boy. You know, I was the guy that rang the bell, gave the wine and the uh, other thing there to the priest, and uh, I got to sit up front and wear this little white robe. And, you know, it was, you know, pretty hot stuff. The girls always like that. And uh, I was around church for a few years. Now, why do we talk about worshiping the Lord? Folks, I had no idea what worship was. None whatsoever. None. Religion to me was just that. Religion. Um, Why? Well, I think it was more superstition than anything else. I needed to do it because my grandmother said that there's a heaven, there's a hell, and you're supposed to be good, and and someday you're going to die, and you better do something about it. But I had no concept of worship by any stretch of the imagination. So why do we? 
I'll get to the second part of that story later. First of all, and only, the reason we worship the Lord is He is deserving and worthy of that worship. Now, you can't value Him if He hasn't become real to you. You can't value worship if He hasn't become real to you. So, to me, church was nothing. Really, it just, I mean, I just went and did my thing. I was a good boy. Can you imagine that? It must have done something. I mean, I was, you know. I used to walk in the snow, you know, the whole story, you know, all by myself, just to go to church. It was something I thought I just needed to do. And it was fun wearing the little white thing and, you know, and getting to talk to the girls afterward, you know, because they thought you were hot stuff because you are helping the priest. But not because I knew who God was or understood what He had done for me. Never did I realize that He was deserving or worthy of worship. He is who He is. That's why we worship Him. Because who He is. Now, the Psalm 100, would you look at verse 3 with me, please? Perhaps a very well-known psalm and even a very well-known verse. Know that the Lord Himself is God. Know that the Lord Himself is God. It's, it's interesting how it's written because it's know that Jehovah, Yahweh, He is Elohim. The one that is of Himself self-existent he says, know that the self-existent one is, he says, Elohim, the Almighty. The maximum that there is. He's supreme. He's infinite. He just simply was, is, and shall be. Now, do you know what? I don't expect you to understand that if you don't know Christ. I really don't. I didn't. I mean, I mean, my house was all about religion because of my grandmother. Now, I could tell you stories. But God was just distant. He wasn't real. He's just somebody that kind of was part of the tradition and, 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 um, and uh, just kind of like part of the walls. There were pictures all over and all kinds of religious objects. But did I understand that He was infinite? That He was the omni-God? You know, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient God. Did I know that? No. So how could I worship Him? <coughs> we worship Him because He's worthy. Just because He's worthy. Now, remember, worth is what you give value to. I gave no value to God. Simply because he hadn't done anything for me that I knew of. Oh yeah, I know. He died on the cross. I the sins of the world. I didn't do that. I know that. I didn't do anything for me. There was no worth in him. Mind you, when I became a Christian at the age of 19, and all of a sudden I saw the worth, the value in Jesus Christ, in God the Father... Worshipping Him was just natural. 
all of a sudden there was worth, there was value. Now I know who he is. Now I realize what he's done. Now I want to get to know him. And all I want to say is thank you. So how do we worship? Now get into that, that's interesting, because here's where perhaps you might be caught a little off guard what we're going to talk about. We start off with the word itself. In the Old Testament, the word, which is used 95 times, means to bow down, to worship. The word worship, in its root, means to bow down, Old Testament. Go to the New Testament, where we use it 50 times, it means to kiss the ground. The both seem to speak about the same thing. Get down. The bodily language of worship seems to be down. Down. Now, I can't think of the last time, and it's been a while, that I literally prostrated myself face down before God. Maybe they taught me too many things that said I don't have to. Maybe I got used to sitting down. Maybe getting on my knees was enough. But if you look at the language and the action of people in the Bible when they came face to face with God, the first thing they did was they hit the ground. Somehow, I don't think it's going to be any different the day we stand before Him face to face. I don't know why, but I have a feeling that we are not just going to stand there. I think we're just going to bow when we stand before or are in the presence of His awesomeness. Uh, there's a song, Imagine. Remember that says there's, there's a contemporary Christian song, you know, I can only imagine. You know, I don't know if I'm going to stand or I'm going to go to my knees or am I going to go to my face. But if worship seems to be what the Old Testament and New Testament uh, portray, it is going to be down. Now, literally what we're talking about is what? Surrender. You want to worship God? You've got to surrender. You're talking submission. Down. Down. Surrender. Submit. Recognize He is the Almighty. It is a condition of the heart above all. Look, it's not about just being on your knees. It's about kneeling with your heart before God in awe. In just awe of who He is. Of what He's done. Of what you know Him to be in your life as you walk day by day. I, I, I was, I've been in awe of God as He has cared for my kids these last couple of days. And just, I just sit back and I say, I couldn't have done it better. Impossible. You just are in awe. And you just surrender, you submit your heart. And folks, I'm not telling you you have to. But maybe we should reconsider this whole thing about being on our face before God. We're not very East, uh, Eastern in our concept of worshiping God. But uh, I just want to remind you that there is a religion that prays five times a day and they do it face down. How come they seem to understand and yet they don't even know God? 
Alright. The next point. So why do we worship? How do we worship? Now we're going to talk about four ways to do it. Taking into consideration how we describe the word worship and what it means of submission. Four ways that we can worship God. Taking what we just learned into account. Number one, inadequate. We've got to talk about our inadequacy as we stand before God. We're going to talk about sacrificial giving. Because that's worship. Sacrificial service and sacrificial obedience. And we speak about sacrificial because we said it is an act of worship whereby we surrender and submit. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. If you'd like to follow me there, it is one of those uh, theological passages in the New Testament that uh, uh, is uh, very beautiful. It's called the Kenosis passage. And in it, this is what we find in regards to the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. And this is what it says. Therefore, also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He has earned by right, He has earned our worship. What I find interesting is is that not some, but all will bow to Jesus. It's not going to matter whether we know Him or not, worshipped Him or not, knew of Him or not. It seems that every knee will bow at the recognition of who He is. Only the adequacy of Christ is acceptable before God. Not our adequacy. Jesus' adequacy. That is why when we come to Jesus and we surrender to the cross, when we surrender to the sacrifice and say, yes, I accept, I, I surrender, I, I, I confess my sins, I give my heart and life to Him, then He makes us adequate. Now we can come before God the Father. Because in and of ourselves, we are inadequate to do so. To bow the knee to Christ is not an option. It is a law. The only option is you can do it now. Or you can do it later. But you will do it. You will bow your knee to Him. Whether by obligation of being in His presence and His awesomeness, even not knowing Him, or because you surrender your heart here and now and submit it to Him and say, I cannot in and of myself come to you. I need your Son, Jesus Christ. So, our knees down speak about our need for forgiveness Life eternal, abundant life here and after, and the acceptance and gift of hope and peace. If we refuse, 
then we will be subject to what is called the wrath to come. The wrath to come. So the first act of worship is in religion. It's not even believing in God. Your first act of worship is to have your needs before God and accept Him at Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Your first act of worship is to surrender yourself and show your inadequacy of self-salvation and ask Him to save you. That is our act of worship. Second, second act of worship is sacrificial giving. Sacrificial giving. Uh, as you look into Scripture, it's especially the Old Testament, it's all about sacrifice. From the beginning with Abel, as he offered a better sacrifice, as Hebrews tells us, Hebrews 11, one that God accepted because it was done in faith. Noah, who offered a sacrifice that condemned the world. By the way, the sacrifice that Noah offered that condemned the world, I, I know we, we, we read that whole concept as the, the sacrifice that he did outside the ark. But do you know what the sacrifice was that he did that condemned the world? The ark. To build that ark in the middle of the desert when there was no rain, when there was no water. And when all he did probably was just receive criticism, laughter, and mockery. But that was his sacrifice. And it was a sacrifice to condemn. It was a sacrifice of giving. And then, of course, the Magi who came to Jesus. We just celebrated that. With a sacrifice. A treasure. We can't quite understand what the value of those treasures were. But may I remind you, it sustained them while they lived in Egypt. And probably afterwards. Um, there, is a, there is a little writing. It's a play. Anybody ever heard of it? It's called The Gift of the Magi by a fellow by the name of O. Henry. It takes place in the city of New York at the turn of the 19th century into the 20th century. In the tenement squares there, in the very low uh, housing estates of New York City. And um, I'm sure you've heard of it. Uh, the characters are uh, James and Della. And James and Della were deeply in love and deeply poor. But they had jobs. They just barely made it though from week to week. And uh, each one, though they loved each other greatly, each one had a special treasure that they, well, just clung to. Della had beautiful long hair. At a time when long hair was very important, at a time when long hair meant that the rich would go out and buy wigs made with real hair, uh, hair was apparently something of great value at that point in time. And, and Della had just, just beautiful, long hair, shiny, well kept. And um, James, well, he had been given a watch. 
by his father. He treasured this watch. And uh, it was one of those watches, not a wristwatch, but a pocket watch. The problem was that he didn't have money and never really owned the chain. You know, remember in the vest, you would wear a vest, a little pocket, and you kept your pocket watch, and you usually had a beautiful chain, you know, to show you had a little watch inside the pocket. Well, he didn't have a nice gold chain. He just had a strip of leather that he had the watch tied to so he made sure he never lose it. So that he would be embarrassed when he would take out his watch to see the time and he'd kind of cover it. Though the watch is beautiful, the leather strap just didn't go with it. A Christmas was approaching and Della decided that she would get something really, really special for James. So she went shopping and found the perfect gift. It was a gold chain. But the chain cost $30. And all she had was a dollar twenty-five, And she knew there was no way she could ever make enough money to come up to $30. At the turn of the uh, 20th century, that was a lot of money. So she began to think, what can I do? At the same time, at the same time, James decided that he was going to give Della a beautiful gift and he didn't know what so he just went shopping and he found the most beautiful set of hairbrushes the most beautiful set of hairbrushes and uh, uh, ivory handles and they were just gorgeous and they cost about $30 and uh, he had no money mind you, she had the dollar twenty-five. And um, he just didn't know what to do. So he said, I love my daughter. She's God's treasure to me. I want her to know how much I love her. So he went down to the pawn shop and pawned off his watch. But he had the money to buy the brushes for Della. Della, in the meantime, who was deeply in love with James thought that this was going to be the Christmas that she would get for him the one gift he so badly needed. No matter what, she would get that gold chain. So she went down to the factory where they made the wigs and she sold her hair. And she put on a hat on Christmas Eve when she did all this uh, so that he couldn't tell that she had cut her hair uh, when he came home from work, he had his little gift, you know, behind him. And she had her little gift hidden. And uh, they sat down and uh, uh, had their tea and said, I have a gift for you. And she said, I have a gift for you. And no, you opened it first. No, you first. No, you first. Imagine the scene. When James gave her the little box, nicely wrapped, and she opened it. And there were hairbrushes. Or when Della gave him the small box and he opened it and there was a gold chain. Sacrificial giving. You give worth to the person and you're willing to sacrifice. Are you willing to sacrifice for God? How much do you really worship Him?
I want you to perhaps look at or um, well we don't have time but let me let me quote to you 2nd Samuel out of uh, chapter 24 this is what Samuel said David said I'm sorry in 2nd Samuel I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing I will not sacrifice to my Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing can you take your mind for an instant in the New Testament a widow at the time of the offering in the temple and all she brought were two mites two very small coins that meant very little yet Jesus said she has given it all she had shown worship because it's not in the amount or the quantity but the sacrifice the teaching has always been the sacrifice I will not give to the Lord that which cost me nothing number three sacrificial service sacrificial service there is our inadequacy our sacrificial giving and our sacrificial service that's a great way to show God that I worship Him minister to God by worshiping Him through sacrificial service Romans chapter 12 verse 1 and I, again I'm sure that uh, you know uh, this passage in this verse I urge you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present yourselves a living sacrifice right holy acceptable to God which is your reasonable service worship him through sacrificial service are there such a thing in the kingdom of God is there such a thing as a thankless job anybody care to to do a show of hands yes thankless jobs no no thankless jobs you know what it's full of thankless jobs tons of jobs the church the kingdom nobody sees they got to get done somebody's got to do it but they're jobs that are done out of sacrificial service yet in God's eyes none go missing None in the Lord's eyes because He sees every single effort you put forth. In Zechariah chapter 4, there's a man who's holding a plumb line. And uh, it's, it's Zechariah 4, it's really worth reading and, and talking about it. But for time, just follow me. This is what it says. Who despises the day of small things? 
Men will rejoice when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. And then the passage goes on to say, or speak of the eyes of God. Seven eyes. It says, These seven are the eyes of the Lord which range throughout all the earth. And the idea was that what that what Zerubbabel was doing was a thankless job. I mean, just holding the plumb line for the men to build the wall. And God said, But I saw Zerubbabel holding the plumb line. I see those thankless jobs. Not just the glory ones, the ones up front, or the ones that everybody hears of. Occasionally, it'll be maybe in the church, whether it's your local church or your church where you worship when you're back in your country, you'll hear an announcement. We need somebody to do such and such a thing. And the first thing that comes to your mind is, I don't have time for that. Hello? That's why it's called sacrificial service. I don't have the talent for that. Listen, there's not a lot of talent to sweep. But it's a thankless job. It's about sacrificial service. In this church, we only get to clean this place uh, once every three months, if I'm not mistaken. Hey, folks, I'm not, not, uh, trust me, I'm not pointing fingers. I'm just saying, it seems like once every three months, and it's always the same people doing cleaning. I've seen Pastor Steve shake his head. He's working very happy. Nobody wants to do it. It's called sacrificial service. You want to worship God? You want to really worship God? Sacrifice in your service. Yes, the thankless jobs. Yes, the ones nobody sees. Yes, the ones that take up my time. The ones that oh I you know then it's gonna it's gonna dip into my you know um, uh, uh, what's called it it's gonna dip into my Chinese restaurant next week you know my 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 not five seventy five menu you know if it doesn't then it's not sacrificial sacrificial means it costs I will not offer my God sacrifices that don't cost me anything. So are you serving the Lord in a sacrificial way or is it only when it's convenient? It's not worship. I hate to pull the plug on you. But if it's only when it's convenient for me, then it's not worship. You're serving and you're doing something good for the kingdom. It's not worship. If it's sacrificial, yes. If it's not, So are we serving the Lord sacrificially in the church? Outside the church? Number four. We'll bring it here to an end. There are the sacrificial acts of obedience. Sacrificial acts of obedience. A.W. Tozer, he uh, belonged to the CMA church and uh, became a very well-known man within the CMA as uh, he was one of the editors for the magazine Great writer. Brilliant man. Anybody ever heard Tozer? 
I mean, his writings are just really worth grabbing a hold, especially um, his stuff on prayer and so on. But uh, A.W. Tozer said this, um, speaking on the incredible Christian, the incredible Christian. And the question was, what is love's final test? <coughs> hmm. Love's final test. Said the Christian cannot be certain of the reality or depth of love until he comes face to face with the commandments of Christ. And then he is forced to decide what to do with them. Then he will know what is love's final test. Obedience. Obedience. You see, it's not till you're face to face with one of God's commandments, one of His principles, where you've got to make a choice, and you've got to decide to obey or not obey. And you say, but if I do that, it's, it's going to cost me. Yes, that's the point. Sacrificial obedience is of great worship to our God. He that has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. He that has my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. It isn't the zeal or the emotions, uh, exterior or the outward piety, but the obedience. How much are we willing to sacrifice in our obedience to God? Oh, but that cramps my style. It's not what I really want to do. It inflicts. It's uh, if I do that, then I if I obey this, and it's gonna it's gonna cost me time, place, money. I said, hey, no obedience of sacrifice, no worship. Then you're just following rules that are suitable to you. Obedience to the Word of God. Uh, last, this week, now, but the week before, I had quite a few conversations with people and the subject came up, belief. But I believe in God. But I believe in God. And I said, yeah, you may believe in God, but you don't believe God. It's two different things. You can believe in God. And yet not believe God. What it says and we believe what he says when we're willing to obey and say it's my sacrificial act of obedience because of my worship to my God obedience to the Holy Spirit's prompting God speaks to you God ever spoken to you in your heart prompted you to do something and not on it and then wish you did Sacrificial obedience. Sacrificial obedience. And James 1.22 says, But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. It's not just about hearing it, folks. It's about obeying it. Sacrificial acts of obedience. Sacrificial act of obedience is when we have to dig deep, go against our flesh, against our passion in order to carry out that which we know 
God wants us to do. I shall not sacrifice to my Lord out of that which costs me nothing. So as we conclude, let's just bring it to the two things that can nullify worship. Two things. Just two. We won't make it complicated. You want to worship God, what do you want to avoid in your worship? What do you want to avoid so it doesn't nullify your worship? Number one, you want to be able to um, do sacrificial giving, sacrificial service, sacrificial obedience. You want to do that. That which costs you something is worship. So, no sacrifice, no worship. No sacrifice, no worship. My mind goes to um, Corinthians where it talks about the fire and the things that are going to be burned. And my, my, one, my wonder of that is how much of it is going to be those things we thought we did right. And God says, no sacrifice. No worship. No credit. They were just good things. But they weren't worship. So, avoid the no sacrifice rule so that you may be free to worship. And number two, if you do it grudgingly, you know, we say, you know, you're just trying to, you get it done, but you know, it's, you didn't do it with the best attitude. If you do it grudgingly, you must do it joyfully, with gladness. It isn't sacrifice if you're on top of doing it, you're not dragging your leg. No, you do it joyfully and you say, hey, it's a sacrifice for God, I'm going to do it with all my heart. Psalm 100 says, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with Joyful singing. Okay? So, it must cost us something and it should not be done out of a grudgery. I trust that as we've looked at worship as one of the aspects of ministry to the Lord, I trust we've approached it differently. You know, we didn't talk about raising hands or singing or... Because that's really praise. We'll talk about that a couple of weeks from now. Worship. It's how worthy is God to you. What's the value? What value do you give Him? Well, I think Della showed how much love she had for James. And James showed how much love he had for Della. And that they were willing to sacrifice because of the worth that they had for each other. Let's stand as we pray. Father in heaven, we recognize your awesomeness, Lord. We may not understand it because it's just too broad, too deep, too wide, too tall. But we know it's there. We know you are an awesome God. You are a worthy God. 
we worship you, Lord. We ask that you teach our hearts to worship you even more. That you bring us, Father, to our knees as we as we are in your presence and realize, Father, who you really are. As we look into your face, Father, and know that the Lord himself is God. Speak to our hearts this evening as we even go home, Lord. May we wake up tomorrow with the thought in our hearts of true worship. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.